America's electric grid is one of the greatest feats of 20th century engineering. Supporting the country's industrial and economic growth, today's grid is a highly integrated nationwide network of transmission lines and control facilities that interconnect with electrical generation that serves millions of customers. I'm a real live wire and I never tire. Yes, sir, I'm a red hot shot. I can cook your meals, turn the factory wheels, cause I'm ready, kilowatt. When you toast your toast or you roast your roast, it is I who makes them hot. I'm in your TV set with every show you get, cause I'm ready, kilowatt. I'm the little man who's always there. I'm a powerful high-voltage guy. I'm so full of spark, I can light up the dark. And you should see me wink my electric eye. I wash and dry your clothes, play your radios. I can heat your coffee pot. I am always there with lots of power to spare, cause I'm ready, kilowatt. Remember, just plug in. I'm ready. Oh, my. The reliability of the nation's grid has fallen into question, however. Development of the grid dates back over a century. Uh, most of it was built up uh, a half a century or more ago. A lot of the equipment that we rely on in the grid infrastructure was designed for a 40-year life expectancy. Uh, a lot of that equipment is operating uh, a decade or, or two beyond its life expectancy. And that makes quite a statement about the antiquated nature of the power grid. We're going to have to spend literally hundreds of billions of dollars. And so where that investment comes from is a big question. That plan to come up with an overall national strategy uh, is really not in place. We haven't really looked as proactively as we should be at a national strategy. I think we are many decades away at this pace from achieving a higher reliability system. In the meantime, we're gonna to continue to see frustration from consumers in terms of uh, the amount of outages they're experiencing in the grid and the prolonged nature of how long those outages take to repair and restore. The demand for electricity in this country has only gone up. As a matter of fact, it's gone up so much, they're really having problems generating enough of it. But the primary warning uh, is from grid managers because they're worried about the stress and strain on California's power grid. We're expected to see energy usage upwards of 50,000 megawatts. If it sounds like a lot, uh, that's because it is a lot. So to mitigate that, they're trying to have these flex alerts to avoid the situation where there's more demand than there is energy supply. Those flex alerts telling people from about 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. to try to conserve as much energy as possible. Don't use appliances you don't have to. Keep the thermostat maybe around 
178 or so. It's a tough ask when, again, we've been in 100 degree temperature days of. Seems like the Texas grid is always facing challenges, being wintertime or the longer season, summer. As Texas gets hit with record heat, the state's power grid can't keep up. Check out what happened to this meteorologist while reporting on this extreme heat just last week. You have this kind of heat over major populations, you get a big draw on that electric demand. It looks like we may have just switched over to generator power. Our lights just went out. Wow, right on cue. While the state has had some success with people cutting back voluntarily, the officials there say much more is needed with more extreme weather expected. The threats to the nation's power grid goes far beyond just aging infrastructure and lack of generating capacity. There are other hidden threats as well. When the lights go out, we usually know why. Hurricane Sandy coming ashore on the East Coast. Mother Nature is at it again. Most of the time, we manage to get through it. But what if the power went out in a number of states, affecting millions of people for weeks, even months? As you were researching this, did you personally find yourself getting frightened? I think frightened is a little bit too strong, but maybe I should have been. Yes, it's frightening. It is frightening enough that uh, my wife and I decided we were going to buy enough freeze-dried food for all of our kids and their kids. In his book, Lights Out, veteran journalist Ted Koppel paints a grim picture of a paralyzing power outage in the form of an all-out cyber attack on the nation's electrical grid. Who are the potential perpetrators here? Who do we have to fear the most? Is it Russia, China, Iran, terrorists, yeah. uh, individual actors? All those. The interesting thing, Chip, is um, the ones who are most capable are the ones least likely to do it. There are some experts who say they're already in. Oh, they are in. They are in. There in. is no question about it. They're they, into our grid. They are already in the grid. I was told that by the former chief scientist of NSA. He stated categorically the Russians are in, the Chinese are in. The Iranians may be on the verge of getting in. And then at the bottom of the capability scale are folks like ISIS, terrorist groups. The power grid is the system interconnecting North America's supply of electricity. If one area has particularly heavy demand, power from another region can sometimes serve as backup. The downside to all this? If a hacker manages to take down an entire grid, a huge portion of the country, along with parts of Canada, could go down with it. The primary reason? Like so much else these days, the grid relies heavily on the internet. Never take a few seconds. An estimated 30 million people in the northeastern United States were plunged into an eerie blackness. Wide-scale outages are nothing new. 
1965, a huge blackout in the Northeast left more than 30 million without power for almost 13 hours. New Yorkers have taken it in stride, have they, as far as you've been able to see? No, they have. Look at this, man. In 1977, New York City was plunged into darkness again, this time resulting in looting and other crimes. There have been massive power outages, blackouts. And in uh, 2003, overgrown trees were partly to blame for a blackout that affected eight states and part of Canada, some 50 million people. That one lasted up to four days in some areas. But our next electric failure could be just a keystroke away. I'm not sure I know why it hasn't happened yet. It's it's definitely not for you know not for lack of capability on various parts, uh, whether it be us or or uh, an enemy. Um, I, I think it comes down to timing, and I, I think we need to make the right people mad at the right time. You would think the one entity that would be ready for something like this is the Department of Homeland Security. Yes. Are they ready? No. I mean, I've talked to every former Secretary of Homeland Security and they all acknowledge there is no plan. He says the current secretary, Jay Johnson, didn't offer much guidance either. You described the conversation as prickly at one point. Well, it got prickly because I kept asking, what's the plan? Why wait until disaster strikes? Why not tell him, do you have a plan? And he just sort of pointed up at a shelf uh, filled with white binders and he said, look, I'm sure there's something up there somewhere. We We wanted to find out for ourselves, but both the White House and the Department of Energy declined our requests for an on-camera interview. The Department of Homeland Security also refused to speak on camera. Instead, we were given a statement, which reads in part, To be clear, the Department of Homeland Security has a plan. We, along with the Department of Energy, coordinate national efforts to strengthen the security and resilience of the electric grid. We also work with energy sector partners to promote the security and resilience of the grid through myriad activities both seen and unseen. Next, we reached out to some of the big electric companies. They refused to speak with us as well. Ted Koppel says the government basically has no plan. Is he right? No, he's not right. So we turned to Paul Stockton, a former Defense Department official whose duties included cybersecurity. The government is building plans very, very quickly now to help manage the consequences of an attack on the, on the grid, but also to make sure that government systems are more resilient against attack. Are the power companies today prepared to respond to a large-scale cyber attack on the grid? Power companies today are strengthening their ability to respond to an attack and restore power more quickly. Still, Stockton admits. Their readiness is not where it needs to be given that the adversary continues to strengthen the sophistication of the weapons that will be used against the United States. So, wow. Just how vulnerable is the nation's grid? The grid is a sprawling target. There are actually three in the U.S., the Eastern, Western, and Texas has its own. Most of us rarely notice substations, 
there are 55,000 across the country, each housing transformers, the workhorses of the grid. Inside these massive metal boxes, raw electricity is converted to higher or lower voltages. Should a transformer explode, like this one in Manhattan during Superstorm Sandy, the system is designed to trigger a localized grid-preserving blackout. But if several sections of the grid go down at the same time, the shutdowns can cascade like dominoes. That's what set off the Great Northeast Blackout in 2003, leaving 45 million Americans without power. A few months before the assault on Metcalf, John Wellinghoff of FERC commissioned a study to see if a physical attack on critical transformers could trigger cascading blackouts. It was actually a very shocking result to us that there's a very few number of substations you need to take out uh, in the entire United States to knock out the entire grid. Knock out the entire grid? That's correct. How many would it take to knock out putting the entire country in a blackout? Less than 20. The report was leaked to the Wall Street Journal. It found the U.S. could suffer a coast-to-coast -coast blackout if saboteurs knocked out just nine substations. Number nine, 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 number nine. Hey, what's up with wind generation and solar technology? I thought these things were supposed to help the grid out. If you have taken a road trip in Texas, you might have noticed them. Massive wind turbines producing energy. But as Jeremy Rogowski reports, the power from the farms doesn't always make it to your home. In the panhandle. West Texas. And here in the Rio Grande Valley, towering wind turbines have sprouted up everywhere, making Texas the number one wind power producing state. But it's not just getting produced. Do you think average Texans know this is going on? I don't think so. It's getting wasted too, says Jenny Fink with EDF Renewables. And it's really frustrating to see that we have the capability to produce more power than we're actually able to get to the people who need it. They cannot get it to where it needs to go. This EDF wind farm can generate power for 77,000 Texas homes. But on these nearby power lines, there's often a roadblock to get it all there. Think of transmission lines as electricity highways that can safely handle only so many cars. When they get congested with power generators trying to get on, the grid manager ERCOT, much like a traffic cop, limits or constrains the amount of traffic flowing on the road. And if there isn't that highway space available for us to move the energy effectively and efficiently, then we actually have to tell the turbines to stop, uh, stop generating. And so... What you're telling me is you can have a pretty windy day, but look up here a couple hundred feet and those things won't be spent. <laughs> yeah, and those are really frustrating days. That frustration, EDF says, happened in the winter storm. We have no heat, no power at our house. Never been through anything like this before. While millions of Texans were left in the dark, 
the company's South Texas wind farm was able to produce power. But as it told state lawmakers, Additional megawatts of generation were available, but could not be delivered because over 90% of the highway was blocked. ERCOT has put such a block on more than a dozen transmission lines across the state. Behind these bottlenecks, electricity, mostly cheap wind and solar power, is essentially trapped. And that has a cost. Carrie Bivens is the independent market monitor, a watchdog over ERCOT. When you have to tell them that they can't generate as much because there's transmission problems, you're losing some of the benefit of those low-cost resources. On the other side of the bottleneck, Bivens says, power is more scarce. And scarcity in the competitive Texas market drives up prices. And it's billions of dollars. Last year it was $1.4 billion. And where do those costs get passed on? They'll eventually end up in your retail rates. That's the way you do it. Get your money for nothing. With all this information about the electric grid, it reminded me. It's time for us to pay the light bill. Mm-hmm. We're not in a rush to be most popular. Not in a rush not to be. Real bourbon, no apologies. If it's for you, you'll know. Ah, thank you. Wild turkey. It'll find you. Don't drink and drive. You just might save a life. Plus, the police are watching. At ABI One, O Podcast, we enjoy hearing from you, our listeners, be it through email, voicemail, or comments through our Facebook page. Feel free to comment on past shows or recommend a topic for future ones. They're finally getting around to talking about storing that hard-fought-for grid juice. So, 24 hours a day, every day, every second, all the electric utilities are monitoring how much electricity is being used on the grid at that instant, and they are generating exactly that same amount. So all day long, this is being monitored so that the electricity generated exactly matches what we use. Did you realize that? So if we look at electricity demand for a city throughout the day, at night we do use some electricity. We need street lights and we need to have our refrigerators keeping things cold and so forth. In the morning, we get up, turn on some lights, make some coffee, those sorts of things. Our demand goes up a little bit. So the utilities actually produce a little more electricity to exactly match what we use. Then as the sun comes up, we don't need as much electricity for lighting during the day. And then what happens at 5 or 5.30 when we get home from work? Suddenly the TV is turned on, the, we're cooking dinner, we're doing all those things, and the electricity demand goes way up at that point. And so the predictability of that load allows the utilities to start the generators to make the electricity that we need at that time. <laughs> 
Okay, that sounds great. Now we all go out and uh, put in a whole bunch of photovoltaic panels on our roof, right? That's a good green thing to do. Now, what that will do, of course, is create lots of electricity when the sun is up in the middle of the day, and we've got all that electricity. But remember what I said about the grid? We don't have a good way to take that extra electricity in the middle of the day and save it up for later on. So what we need to do is figure out better ways, more efficient ways to store that extra electricity so that we can use it later, for instance, when the sun goes down late in the afternoon. Flywheel is a rotating mechanical device that is used to store rotational energy that can be called upon instantaneously. At the most basic level, a flywheel contains a spinning mass in its center that is driven by a motor, and when energy is needed, the spinning force drives a device similar to a turbine to produce electricity, slowing the rate of rotation. A flywheel is recharged by using the motor to increase its rotational speed once again. The flywheel is nothing new. It's been used before to power steamboats and old windmills. But this is no ordinary flywheel. This one is designed for a bigger purpose, according to Beacon Power, based in Massachusetts. Well, our flywheel technology, this is the Gen 4 flywheel. This is the result of 10 years of R&D. Uh, by some of the brightest minds in, in flywheel technology in the world. Company spokesman Gene Hunt says Beacon Power invested more than $200 million and 10 years in research and development to get to this point. They've taken the basic concept of a spinning disc and turned it into 200 pounds of carbon fiber. That piece is then sealed in a vacuum tank and suspended by powerful magnets. Inside, it spins faster than the top speed of a fighter jet. Well, that's two times the speed of sound. We took a tour of the company's factory in Massachusetts, where they're building these new flywheels they say will make New York's energy grid work better. All of these overseeing bodies are starting to see that flywheel energy storage has a place on the grid and can provide the stability that we need. That's why the Department of Energy and NYSERDA, the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority, have recently given Beacon Power $45 million. The company is also throwing $24 million into the pot to build a flywheel energy storage plant in Steventown, New York. We've been spending a lot of time and energy in investing in energy storage technologies. NYSERDA CEO Frank Murray says New York is very aggressive in its energy research. He says the flywheel system has a lot of promise. He says there's a lot of wasted energy on the grid. The flywheels use that wasted energy to spin, storing it in kinetic form, and it releases that energy when the grid needs it most. Our flywheel systems are more like a hybrid car for the grid. If you think of a hybrid car, it uses a combination of combustion engine and rechargeable batteries. And every time you slow down with the brakes, it charges up the batteries, and then when it needs the power to accelerate, it pours it back into the car and gets the wheels moving.
You may think to yourself, well, why don't we just bury all the power lines? That'll keep them safe. Well, the main reason that utility companies will not bury power lines underground is cost. Research shows that the price for running a typical overhead power cable is approximately $100,000 per mile and that the price for burying those same wires underground would increase the cost by 10 times or more. In addition to the capital cost, undergrounding may make routine maintenance of the system more difficult and thus more expensive because of reduced accessibility to power lines. This may also make it more difficult to repair the system when outages do occur, thus prolonging the duration of each outage. With all the problems with the electrical grid infrastructure and all the threat to all this exposed infrastructure, there's got to be a better way. I believe there is. The technology of wireless power transmission is not without precedent. Significant demonstrations and verifications of electric power transfer efficiency and high power delivery at long range have been accomplished by NASA. The most dramatic of these was the NASA JPL Goldstone demonstration conducted in 1975 in which 34,000 watts of power was safely transmitted over 1.5 kilometers at an efficiency of greater than 82%. It was then, and remains today, what can be called the world record for high-power, long-distance, wireless power transmission. The world would look a whole heck of a lot different if we didn't have utility poles and high-power lines, wires running everywhere. Why, we probably would not even recognize it. I bet our great-great-great-grandparents might, however. It'd be neat. We'll attempt to draw some conclusions when I return. So I'm back here in Kentucky at the Wild Turkey Distillery, and I want to let you in on something. The folks here and I have created a new small batch burger, Wild Turkey Long Branch, refined with Texas mesquite charcoal for smoky sweetness. It is my favorite bourbon on the planet. Wild Turkey Long Branch. Real bourbon, no apologies. I am a United States sailor. I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. And I will obey the orders of those appointed over me. I represent the fighting spirit of the Navy and those who have gone before me. To defend freedom and democracy around the world. I proudly serve my country's Navy combat team. With honor, courage, and commitment. I am committed to excellence and the fair treatment of all. We are America's Navy. I hear you singing in the wire. I can hear you through the wine. And the Wichita You know, if we went the wireless route, a lineman would be a thing of the past. Think about it. 
there would be no wires to toss a laced together uh, pair of Nikes up over. Huh, so that would be missing from the scenery. I do like the idea of storing grid power. I'm surprised that we haven't done it by now. Be it through the flywheel or there's other technologies such as uh, compressed gas and uh, weights. You know, but I think uh, the flywheel is a good idea. These different technologies really need to be scaled up and implemented as quickly as possible before it, no pun intended, lights out for everyone. Looks like it's going to do it for this episode on the shocking state of the nation's grid. Man, oh man. I think I'm going to get my solar panels all hooked up and everything for this winter. <laughs> I guarantee. Well, till next time, this is your host, Terry Thompson. This is the ABI 1.0 podcast. And oh, well, the last one out, uh, hit that switch and turn off the lights. They've been flickering all day anyway. <laughs> this grid electricity. See ya. Do something, do something. Grab that screwdriver, put it in his ear and short him. Yeah. Oh, thank you. He's all right. Process complete.